Job chapter 3 is our text this morning. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but verse 1 begins. Let me back up to verse 13. Job's friends come and sit around him. None spoke a word to him because they saw that his grief was very great. After this opened Job his mouth and cursed his day, the day of his birth. Job spake and said, Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which it was said, There is a man-child conceived. Let that day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above, neither let the light shine upon it. Let darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, let darkness seize upon it. Going further down, we could drop down to verse 11. He says, why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? He goes on down to the end of the chapter, and he asks questions. Why? Why? Why is light given to a man? Why, why would there even be life given to someone who's going to suffer what I've suffered? Verse 25, for the thing which I feared most, which I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. It's known as victory disease. It's, a, it's an experience when from complacency or from um, weariness or arrogance, following a, a great victory, a commander or an army is set up for great defeat immediately after. It is a fact from Scripture and it is a fact from our lives that often our greatest victories are followed by some of our greatest defeats. There's a great example of this from from history. Um, In the 1800s, Napoleon Bonaparte had won many victories in Europe as he marched around his army defeated, won battle after battle after battle, and he got the, the great idea, he got the brilliant idea that he was going to invade Russia. And he marched into Russia, and he marched in with just over, um, estimates range, over a half a million soldiers that he marched in with. Sometime later, when he marched out, he marched out with 10,000 soldiers. His great victories followed by what is known as one of his greatest defeats. When we look at this chapter, the first scene of Job that we saw in chapters 1 and 2 was one of the greatest triumphs of faith in human history. Job has experienced all that we saw him experience. He has lost his children. He has lost his possessions. He has been touched with infirmity. He has been touched by Satan and experienced boils and sores. And yet, in spite of all of that, he remains right. He does not sin with his lips, the Bible says. He does not curse God. He doesn't even accuse God of not knowing what he's doing. And what a triumph, what faith. We look at that and we think, that's amazing. How could someone go through? I would aspire to have that kind of faith. Much of, many of us have gone through much less. And we've questioned and doubted and we've wondered, why is this happening to me? And yet here's Job in this great victory and he says, I Shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and not also receive evil? The Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then we come to this chapter. And we have watched in chapters 1 and 2 the loneliness of Job, but now we hear his loneliness. And it's that 
quick change, or it's not that quick, but it's a change from such victory and triumph into such darkness that make the dark, this dark chapter, probably one of the darkest chapters in Scripture, even more disturbing. Did you see all the words of darkness that Job used? He said in verses 1, all the really way down through verse 6, darkness, clouds, blackness, shadow. It's marked by the idea, you can almost sense a dark cloud seeping into his mind, filling his mind. Job begins by cursing the day of his birth. He wished that it had been blotted off the calendar. This day should never have even come. Why was I even born? But since the day of his birth did come, Job wishes that he had been stillborn. He says, I wish that I had died before I ever was born. And he comes down to the end of the chapter, and since he was not stillborn, and since he was born, he wishes for death. Job is obsessed. He sees death as the only escape from what he's experiencing. This is the next stage of Satan's attack on Job. He has taken the things from around him. He has taken his children. He has taken those, the people around him and the things around him. He has touched his body, and now the attack is against his mind. When we look at this passage, I want you to see two truths this morning that I want to share with you quickly. The first of these is what we see from this chapter is the reality of despair in a Christian's life. The reality of a despair of despair. Everyone is subject to discouragement and despair and potentially depression. Stephen Lawford, Stephen Lawson said everybody has their that point when they have had all they can take. And this begins to seep into their mind. Even those who are godly experience this. Don't buy into the mentality that this does not happen to believers and it only happens to believers who are not in a right relationship with God. We'll often hear this and we'll often have people say things that indicate this. Well, if you were just right with God, I would point you to people like Moses, who God said was the meekest man that ever lived. That's pretty high praise. The meekest man that ever lived, and there were times when he faced despair. John the Baptist, Jesus said, was the greatest that was ever born of woman. And yet when John is in prison, he sends his disciples to Jesus, doubting and wondering, are you the one that we, we thought was supposed to come? This is the same man who stood in the Jordan and said, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And here he is saying, are you the one that we're to look for, or are we to look for another? We could go down through scriptures. Paul faced this, about, talks about being buffeted and experiencing the challenges of this. People through history, great Christian leaders, Martin Luther said, for more than a week I was close to the gates of death and hell. I trembled in all my members. I felt that Christ was wholly lost. I was shaken by desperation. Charles Spurgeon faced what he called the mist of uncertainty when for no apparent reason he faced depression for a large portion of his life. Everyone is subject, even those who are godly. In this dark, dark chapter, let's remember that this is a man who is writing this, who has, in the beginning of this account, chapter 1, and in chapter 42 at the end of this account, this is a man who is affirmed by God. Job's despair was not the result of backsliding. It was not the 
result of unconfessed sin. Let me pause a minute and say, there can be despair and discouragement that comes from you not being in a right relationship with God. So you need to evaluate, you need to see, is that the case? But don't automatically assume that that is what is taking place. Job faced the reality of despair. Even those, listen to me carefully, even those who have demonstrated faith initially may later become discouraged. Just because we win the first round doesn't mean we win the second round. Job won in chapters 1 and 2. He triumphed. His faith triumphed. And yet here he is in chapter 3 at his lowest. To put it into an old boxing analogy that some of you may may recognize and remember, you may survive the first four rounds, but you may take a dive in five. You may make it, and often grief and despair comes in waves. And one morning you may wake up and you see the light of day and you rejoice and your soul is rejoicing, and the next day, for no apparent reason, the despair returns. And it's like much in our lives that are in waves, and the grief and the sorrow comes. And that is what Job is facing. Job has done well. Job has made an A in chapters 1 and 2. But in chapter 3, the grade's still out. And he says, I despair. The discouragement... Another truth about the reality of despair is that despair warps our perception. If we read through this chapter, Job's thinking is clearly wrong. Job says, It'd be better off, I'd be better off dead. And yet, what was the one thing that God refused to allow to happen to Job? He said to Satan, You can touch him, but don't you kill him. Satan, Job says, I don't deserve, there's no good reason for me to be alive. And God says, the most important thing is, I want you to leave him alive. There was reason for Job to be alive. And yet Job's perception is is warped by this discouragement that he is facing. Be careful in your despair about choices that you make, about perceptions that you perceive of situations. Don't trust your warped perception in your despair. Job's getting it all wrong because he is seeing things through those eyes. Another truth in this reality is that we need to understand that human sources of encouragement may fail us. I thank God for encouragers. Aren't you glad for the people in your life that encourage you? And God brings them alongside, God brings them into your life. But there are times in our life when those human sources may fail. Job's children are no longer there. Maybe they encouraged him. Sometimes your children are your best encouragers. They come along and they say things that just, they just, they give you purpose in life. Sometimes it's your spouse. Now, Job's spouse, her jury's still out a little bit on her, but she's not going to be an encouragement. Job's friends show up. His three friends, and they sit there, and later another guy's going to show up, and they're going to talk, 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 and they should have they stayed silent. You know, there's some people that when they talk, and I, I know I can't be the only person that experiences this, but sometimes when people are talking, you're trying to really listen, you're paying attention, but at some point, they begin to sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, see, y'all already know. Wah, 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 wah. Now, hopefully that's not this sermon. I hope, wah, 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 wah. And I'm praying, Lord, please help me pay attention. I really want to hear what they're trying to say. But they talk, and that's exactly what these three friends do. 
they talk and they talk in circles and we'll see more about that. We're not going to preach. I'm not preaching through every single one of their speeches because it just goes in circles. They talk in circles and they go on and on and on and they're really, really not good at it. In fact, at one point, Job says, you know what? You guys are just really bad at this. Y'all need to find something different to do. He said, you are miserable comforters. You're really not encouraging me. And sometimes the people that in places we would look for encouragement will fail us. That's the reality of despair. But let me point out to you, what is our response to despair? Job does not reach this point in this chapter, but he points us in this account. And in Scripture, there are some ways that we can respond when we are facing despair, when we are facing discouragement, when we are low, when we are in those low moments. First of all, we need to renew ourselves. We need to renew ourselves spiritually. We need to renew ourselves mentally. We need to renew ourselves emotionally and physically. Physical fatigue, mental stress, spiritual apathy can all be elements that contribute to a spirit of despair that grips our hearts. Let me pause a minute and say that there are two extremes in this, as often in life there are two extremes. There is the one extreme that sees that the only element in despair and discouragement is spiritual. If you would just get right with God, if you would just do more, if you would just be busier for God, if you would just do all these things, that would take care of your problem. It's interesting that we don't do that with any other need in our being. If a person comes to me and says, Pastor, pray for me, I've been to the doctor, and I've got a heart condition, and they've, they're going to have to do surgery, or they're going to have to give medicine, or they're going to have to do this, I would never say, well, you know what you just need to do? You just need to pray more. You just need to read your Bible. Now, they probably do. You probably do need to read your Bible and pray more than most of us are at that point. But we don't just say it's just spiritual. On the other hand, there are those who will look at all the other things that contribute, and they'll look at the, the mind, and they'll look at therapy, and they'll look at medicine, and they'll look at physical contributors and um, actions that, take, that contribute to despair. And they'll say, they'll, but they'll completely ignore any spiritual element at all. Let me say from Scripture that there is always, even if it is not caused by spiritual factors, it will affect you spiritually. And we must address the spiritual part of it, so we need to be renewed. We need to renew ourselves. We need to refuse faulty thinking. Job's thinking in this chapter is flawed. We've seen that. We've seen the problem. Listen, I love this statement, discouragement is believing as as behaving as if what we know to be true isn't. Discouragement is behaving as if what we know to be true isn't. We know some things to be true. What do we know to be true? You remember that verse in Philippians chapter 4? Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are of good report, think on these things. And he says, whatsoever things are true... What do we know to be true? Well, I know to be true that there is a God. I know that He is a God who loves me and who cares about me. And I know that He is a God who is in control of all things, that even when there are evil things, as we saw in Sunday school this morning, that He is still working 
for my good. I know those things to be true. So instead of allowing my mind to dwell on all the things that are wrong and all the things that are negative and all the evil that's going on, I focus on what I know to be true. Refuse faulty thinking. And how do we do this? Well, we rely on the tools that God has given us. What are these tools? Well, He's given us the Word of God. He's given us prayer. He's given us things that speak truth to us. Uplifting music. Music that feeds the soul. Things that... Listen, uh, I, I struggle when people that I talk to are in a low place and they see negative, and their, their minds are just weighed down with darkness. And I ask them, what do you watch? What do you read? What do you listen to? And they begin to describe music and entertainment and books and, and materials that are negative and are dark, and they are even nihilistic. There's no purpose and there's no hope in life. And they wonder when they feed their mind on that, when they are feeding their mind from the hog trough of sin, they're feeding their minds on the slop of this world, how they can ever have any desire and any appetite for the table of God when it comes to His Word. It's no wonder some people are depressed and discouraged. They constantly fill their minds with truth or with words that say there's no meaning in this life that say it's purposeless, that present a, a situation in which there is no God. They don't come out and say, we don't believe in God, but they'll have the entire situation. There was never once any mention or idea that God exists. And we feed our minds and we fill our souls with that. It's no wonder that we despair. To correct our thinking, we need the Word of God. We need prayer. We need uplifting music and in um, uplifting materials, godly friends, testimonies, what we know to be true of God. I remember reading the story of David when David comes back and they come back to the city and his family has been taken away. His, his city has been burned. And he's sitting there discouraged. And the very people who he would think this would encourage him, the Bible says that his men... His mighty men, his soldiers, spoke of stoning him. In fact, they're not only not encouraging him, they want to kill him. And these guys know how to use a stone. They can sling a stone. They can throw a stone. They could really do a job stoning him. And he's, he's discouraged. And the Bible says that he encouraged himself in the Lord. That's the challenge. That's the, to renew ourselves and rely on what God has given us. Let me just throw this in at this point, because I think someone needs to hear this. There is a danger when you are in despair, when you are in a low point, that as a Christian, you will buy into this idea that this does not happen to Christians. And the very fact that you are in despair will add to your despair because you'll think, this shouldn't be happening to me. Or you'll think through these things that say, oh, you're supposed to encourage yourself in God. Well, I don't know how to encourage myself in God. We have this idea that someone has perpetuated through the years that God will not put on me more than I can handle. And so then if I'm facing something that I feel like I can't handle, well, then there must be something wrong with me because I feel like I can't handle this. This is more than I can handle. And therefore... That adds to my burden. 
Or we come to the Scriptures and we think, oh, I'm going to open my Bible and I'm going to open it up and I'm just going to read something and like some magic medicine, it's going to make me better. Listen, when I'm pointing you to the Word of God, I'm not suggesting that you're going to just be able to open it up and boy, boom. Sometimes God does that. Sometimes I sit down and I read the Word and there's something just specifically for me. And there's other times when I read and I read and I read and it's the long, it's the long faithful commitment to doing what is right that God begins to work in my mind. You're not going to open the Bible. There's this great story the man who opens his Bible, he's going to find what God's plan for him is, and he just lets his Bible fall open, and he puts his finger down on a verse, and he looks down, and he says, and Judas went out and hanged himself. He said, that can't be the way. He said, that must not be doing what everybody says to do, so I'm going to try this again. So he closed his Bible, and he let it fall open, and he put his finger down on the verse, and the verse said, go thou and do likewise. When I'm talking about using the Word of God, listen to me carefully. I'm not suggesting that when you're discouraged, oh, I'll just open up the Bible. I often go to the Psalms in moments of of lowness because at the very least it's encouraging that somebody else went through exactly what I'm going through. And many of the Psalms are that way. But the Word of God over time begins to speak to us and it draws us. And I pour out my heart to God. Use prayer as a tool to revive yourself and to renew yourself. Use the tools that God has given to you. Tell to God what's in your heart. God is never going to be shocked at what you have to say. There are times when you feel like things in your heart and there's nobody on this earth that you could express it to because you just don't, boy, that would really, they, they, what would they think of me if they knew what I wanted to say? Nothing you, nothing you can say can shock God. We use the tools that we have. We rely on the tools that God has given. And here's the last thing that I want you to see. Rest in what you know to be true. Rest in what you know to be true. When we look at this dark, dark chapter, this chapter points us to a day of even greater darkness. When the Son of God was nailed to a cross and the sun ceased to shine and the Father turned away from the Son. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And because of the sin of humanity, and because of the woes of humanity, and because of the sorrows and the transgressions of humanity, He bore them to the cross. And in that darkest of moments, He bore our pain. Because of what Christ has done, let me share you a few things from Romans chapter 8. We touched on this in our Sunday school lesson this morning. Romans chapter 8, if you want to turn, the hand and the heart of God was revealed in Christ in that moment of great darkness. And in that darkness was the greatest of hope, a light in a dark place. Romans chapter 8, here's what you can rest in. Because of what Christ has done, first of all, you can rest in the hand of God, in the sovereign hand of God. Romans 8, 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, who are the called according to His purpose. 
He does not say all things are good, but God in His sovereignty will work them for our good. And we can rest in the hand of God who controls even the bad things, even the things... Look, He doesn't say all things are going to be good. What you are experiencing, what is causing despair in your heart, what is driving you the direction that you're going, may never be called a good thing. But God can work it for good. And you can rest in that sovereign hand. What is it that brings peace to my troubled mind is knowing that I am in the hand of God. Look in verses 33 and 34. We rest in our knowledge of who God is, our knowledge of God. Verse 33, he says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. What do we know about God? What is our knowledge of Him that we can rest in? That the only being in this world that has the right to condemn us, to put us in a place of despair, is God Himself. And God's not going to condemn us because he's already justified us and Christ could condemn us but he has already died and rose again so that we are without condemnation now we there is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus and because of what Christ has done I can rest in the knowledge of who he is and he is at the right hand of the father to make intercession on my behalf that's what I can rest in mentioned Charles Spurgeon. When Charles Spurgeon was 24 years old, he became, of course, at a very young age, the pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England, wrote many books, preached many sermons, trained so many pastors, did an amazing work. But when he was 24 years old, he began to experience unexplainable depression. This is what he wrote about it. He said, at that time, my spirits were sunken so low that I would weep by the hour like a child and not know what I wept for. He battled this causeless depression his whole life. He called it shapeless, undefinable, hopelessness. He said it was like fighting a mist. And yet he did not surrender. He did fight it. How did he fight it? He fought it by faith. He said, I'm sure there is no remedy for falling into despondency like a holy faith in God. In knowing who God is. He said, when the door, the the latch of the door that binds us in a gloomy prison needs a heavenly hand to slide it back. Only the hand of God. And that is the faith and that is the trust. And then we come down to the end of this chapter and I love these verses. Probably some of my favorite verses in the scriptures. We rest in the heart of God. We rest in His love. As Job is speaking these things in Job chapter 3, his friends are sitting nearby, but he's not really talking to them. God is listening, but he's not necessarily praying. Job is talking really to himself, which is a dangerous thing to do. But God, with the loving heart of a heavenly father, is listening to what Job has to say. And what is the love of the father? Look in verse 35, Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? If we stopped right there, there are those today who would say, a Christian will never experience that. A Christian will never have these things take place. But notice what he says. 
as it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Not from these things we are delivered, but in these things we are more than conquerors. How? Through Him that loved us. We rest in the everlasting, undying, unchanging love of God. And what can separate us? Paul says, I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, covers a good bit of what Job was facing. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Rest in the everlasting love of God. Rest in the heart of God. The gospel in Job 3 points out to us that because of what Christ did in a much greater darkness, we can find light in our darkness. He is always the one that brings that light. And it might be this morning that your darkness is is that you're separated from God. And I'm glad that Jesus, as the light of the world, came to this world to shine that light into your darkness. But how do we as believers, if we're facing the reality of despair, and there may be many here this morning, I used to think there was a lot after many years of ministry. I'm now convinced there's way more than I ever thought that are facing discouragement and despair. You look around and you see a lot of smiling faces this morning. But behind a smiling face, there may be a Job chapter 3. Never assume you know what a person's going through. Some of the most cheerful, joyful people in this world have taken their own lives. They joked, they laughed, and yet inside they were a dark mess. So don't assume that that's the case. What can I do? Well, let me give you one simple prayer. It's three parts to this prayer, and I believe with all of my heart that it is in this that we find victory. The Bible tells me that our victory that overcomes is our faith. So here's the prayer that I encourage you to pray, and maybe this morning you need to pray this prayer, and you'll need to repeat it. You'll need to pray it again and again, not in a repetitious sort of way, but because you'll be challenged. Number one, I say, Dear God, I am loved by you. I rest in that love. I I am loved by you. Number two, God, I trust you. Because I am loved by you, I can trust what you do. And then number three, I rest in you. This morning, I don't know what situation you are facing or challenging, but I want to invite you to make that prayer your own. In your own words, you don't have to pray it exactly like that. But this morning, there may be someone who is carrying such a heavy burden, and you've survived the attacks from the outside, but the attack of the mind, I'm glad that the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and bringing into captivity every thought to obedience to Christ. Maybe this morning there's someone that you're concerned about and you're burdened about and you need to come and pray for them. Whatever the need might be, I don't believe God desires for His children to remain in a dark place. I believe He wants us to walk in the light as He is in the light. Father, speak to our hearts this morning. I pray for those that are in darkness of sin and they're lost. May they come to see Christ as the light of the world. 
But Father, I pray for believers who in varying degrees are despairing this morning. They are discouraged. They are low. And they have a smile on their face and they can't talk about it to their family. They may not be able to talk about it to their friends. Father, may they come to this altar and pour it out to you. Bring those needs and those burdens. Father, I pray for those who are grieving, those who are sorrowing. And Lord, their minds are filled with darkness. May the light of Jesus Christ fill them this morning. Speak to hearts.